Continuing on in our series on bibliology, which is the study of the doctrine of Scripture. And we've heard about illumination. We've heard about general and specific revelation. We've heard about sufficiency. And we've heard about inspiration. We've heard about its clarity. And one of the first and primary applications of that is what we're going to consider today, which is that of what happens in a pulpit, that is expository preaching. I hope you got a handout. If you don't, maybe the ushers can look for, for uh, some who uh, may not have gotten that. I, uh, we're going to move very quickly through kind of a, an apologetic for expository preaching, a defense of it. Just a little background, though, to let you have some insight into my own life. Uh, I was at the youth camp this week for three days and working uh, on my sermon and the free time and uh, closed my computer on Friday, came home and opened it up yesterday morning and nothing happened. And I went down to the fruit inspectors, otherwise known as, as the Apple geniuses, and they, um, they looked at it and they said, yeah, it's not coming on. I <laughs> said, I knew that <laughs> before I came. So they finally got it bypassed in battery and they turned it on. They said, well, this may work for a while. I said, can we just turn it off and see if it'll happen again? Sure enough, they closed the lid, opened it up, nothing. So my computer is somewhere in the Apple universe getting repaired, which meant that I was offline working at youth camp. So my Dropbox, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, wasn't backing up, which meant I had to start over yesterday. And uh, it, it wasn't that difficult because this subject that we're going to be studying is so near and dear to my own heart. Let me tell you an experience I had in um, high school that was totally unexpected. I was going to a, a church that called itself moderate, which is really another way of saying liberal. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. But a friend of mine gave me a series of tapes and these series of tapes were of a preacher going through the book of Ephesians. In fact, it was on the believer's armor in Ephesians chapter six. And I was so enthralled with this, this series that I actually listened to the whole thing in 12 hours straight. 12 tapes all the way through. When I finished, I remember consciously having this thought. What a great idea. What a great idea during a sermon time, during the preaching time, what a great idea to explain Bible verses. I had never experienced that in my church life. The idea that a man would stand up and explain the Bible to me was just amazingly overwhelming. Well, I found out later that was called expository preaching and that that man was named John MacArthur. I was blown away that you could actually explain the Bible and it could be interesting and helpful and occupy the, the real estate of time that a preacher would use standing in front of people. Expository preaching is what we're gonna be looking at very quickly today. But it's not been always a welcome commodity in the church. In 1928, Harry Emerson Fosdick, who was the self-proclaimed leader of the liberal movement 
in theological circles, wrote a, an article in Harper's Magazine, and the title was, What's Wrong with Preaching? This is what he said. Let me quote it. It's a paragraph, but it's insightful. Fosdick says, Many preachers indulge habitually in what they call expository sermons. They take a passage from Scripture and, proceeding on the assumption that the people attending church that morning are deeply concerned about what that passage means, they spend their half hour or more on historical exposition of the verse or chapter, ending with some appended practical application to the auditors, to the hearers. Fosdick then says, Could any procedure be more surely predestined to dullness and futility. Who seriously supposes that as a matter of fact, one person in a hundred of the congregation cares to start with what Paul or Moses or Isaiah or John meant in those special verses? Or who came to church that morning deeply concerned about it? Then he says this, nobody Nobody else who talks to the public so assumes that the vital interests of people are located in the meaning of words spoken 2,000 years ago, end quote. It's amazing, isn't it? I love Mission Road, what's our, our name? Bible Church. That used to be Southwest Bible Church. That name was taken when I've talked to Richard Oaks and some others who know the history of our church as a very simple explanation that we want to be a church that understands, believes in, teaches, and submits to the authority of, of the Bible. And the first and foremost domino that tips over, the first place that that shows up in any church is what happens in the pulpit. Now, what we're going to do is look at expository preaching. That is a, a term with which most of you are familiar, but I wonder if I put you on the spot, we were to go to lunch this afternoon, and I would ask you, give me a definition of expository preaching, what you would say. The word exposit, some people wrongly say, means to explain. That's not what it means. The word exposit means to set something forth, to say it with authority. So what is expository preaching? On your sheet there, I have a working definition. And when I say working definition, let me tell you what I mean by that. I'm working on a, a, a PhD right now, dissertation, and one of my appendices are definitions of expository preaching. Right now, it's 32 single-spaced pages. 32 pages of expository preaching that are literally from pillar to post all over the map. What happens is people like the term. It's kind of in vogue this day to say, I'm an expositor, we do expository preaching. But that doesn't always mean what, what we would think, take it to mean. I'm gonna talk very quickly through this definition. Expository preaching, it's on your sheet there, is public proclamation that explains what the Bible says, what the Bible means, and why the Bible matters. Now, this is important. This method of preaching is anchored to a robust conviction in the inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, and it necessitates a historical, 
grammatical hermeneutic. Now, that's a mouthful. Basically, what that's saying is if you interpret the Bible properly the way it was intended to be interpreted, then you explain it in a way that it was intended to be understood. Literally, historically, grammatically, contextually. And you proclaim what the Bible says, what the Bible means, and why it matters. Very simple. Now, in that list of of, uh, expository um, uh, uh, definitions I was talking to you about a minute ago, they go from the most strict to the most loose. The strictest form is what we would call from the Latin phrase, lectio continua. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, lectio continua. It just means verse by verse, word after word. Um, and some people would give a very strict definition of expository preaching that it's only verse one of a book through the end. The loosest definition of expository preaching means that you say something that shows its source material in the Bible. Let me just say that both of those have their place in, and I think a, an adequate functional definition falls somewhere in the middle. Uh, the steady diet of the church should be Lectio Continua, where we go verse by verse through, through passages, through a book. We get the logic of God, as we'll see in a minute, the flow of God's thought, the divine intellect that's being revealed. But there are times and places for other kinds of expository sermons, setting forth the meaning of the Bible. For example, you could have topical expository sermons. What do you mean by that? If you took a, a subject like lying, and you could, you could start with, with Abraham and his lies to cover up his, his marriage to Sarah. You could go through the Old Testament and show where lying shows up. You could go to Titus, God doesn't lie, and show a systematic, practical application theology of lying. And that could be expository if the source of your authority and your content comes from the Bible. You could have a theological exposition, which really is just saying public uh, systematic theology. You could take a sermon like uh, a topic like the the mercy of God and show where the mercy of God, his withholding of of judgment and being kind and gracious is from Genesis through Exodus 33, through the Psalms, uh, and ultimately in the sacrifice of Christ in the book of Revelation where he receives sinners into heaven. You could have a biographical exposition, exposition, For example, you could look at Abraham and and his uh, experience with justification by grace alone through faith alone and show where that shows up in Romans 4 as the ultimate example of justification and how it finds itself in the book of Hebrews as a display of faith and show his life throughout the text. Those could all be expository, meaning you're setting forth the meaning of the Bible, telling what it says, what it means, and why it matters. So be careful that you don't do what some say, which is only verse one through the end, that's the only thing that's expository. No, expository preaching means that the source of what you're saying is in a legitimate hermeneutic interpreted out of God's word. It's clearly attached to the meaning of the Bible. So what I wanna do is give you a list. Now, uh, I tell the homiletic students, if you get beyond like three or five or six points, you're kind of straining people. I have 15 today, and I actually had six more that I tried to combine in these. So we're gonna go fast through this, but what I wanna do is give you 15 reasons to be committed to expository preaching. I'm aware of this. 
By God's grace, if you go to Mission Road Bible Church, we are committed to exposition. I'm accountable to the elders. I'm accountable to you, the people who teach in Sunday school, who teach uh, in the children's. We're all wanting to be expository. There's this internal momentum and accountability that I love. But I'm also very aware that not all of you will be in this church forever. So part of this is equipping you. How do you look at a pulpit and evaluate it in a way that that you can determine whether or not it's faithful to putting the Bible in its place in the pulpit. So 15 reasons to be committed to expository preaching. Number one, expository preaching is the only response to the attributes of Scripture. That's why we're studying this this, um, series on bibliology. What are our responses to be? Well, as a corporate uh, uh, expression of God's body locally here in the church, it ought to be to preach expositionally. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and, what is it? It's active, it's alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, what I find interesting there is if the word of God is not judging the heart, the thoughts and intentions of the heart, if you're not allowing God's word to do that, you will lean on your own intuition to do that. And that's a dangerous, judgmental place to stand. If the Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, authoritative, and the very word and words of the living God itself, then for a preacher to say anything for his source material other than the Bible is spiritual treason. There's nothing wrong with having illustrations. There's nothing wrong with having applications that would come from life and and reading, but the source for the authority of what's said in this sacred real estate ought to only be God's word and what he's revealed in the Bible. Otherwise, it's like withholding milk from a baby and just giving it saline solution in a bottle and expecting it to grow. John MacArthur writes, the only logical response to inerrant scripture is to preach it expositionally. In his watershed work on exegetical theology, Walter Kaiser pointedly analyzed the the anemic state of the church in these words. This was written, wow, 30 plus years ago. He says, it's no secret that Christ's church is not at all in good health in many places of the world. She has been languishing because she has been fed, as the current line has it, junk food and all kinds of artificial preservatives and all sorts of unnatural substitutes have been served up to her. As a result, theological and biblical malnutrition has afflicted the very generation that has taken such giant steps to make sure of its physical health that it's not damaged by using foods or products that are carcinogenic or otherwise harmful to their physical bodies. Simultaneously, a worldwide spiritual famine from the absence of any genuine publication of the word of God Amos 8.11, continues to run wild and almost unabated in most quarters of the church, end quote. You can tell almost everything you need to know about a church by what happens in its pulpit. I look back at the church that I grew up in, sweet people, the gospel is there. I had uh, great um, periods of growth in that time, but looking back on it, it was read a verse, Tell a bunch of stories, 
Shake hands with the preacher on the way out. Repeat next week. He was a great and gifted storyteller. He was hysterical and hilarious. But I look back at those times and the verse was just, the verses he cited was just a way to get into the the him part, H-I-M part of the sermon. Well, God protect us from ever doing that. If we believe what we believe about the Bible, then it ought to be our primary source of spiritual food. So it ought to be what the pulpit is giving out. Number two, expository preaching obeys the command of Scripture. 2 Timothy 4, 2 says what? Preach the word. Preach the word. Pretty simple. The content of our preaching must be God's message as revealed to us in his book, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. We're called to preach his words and not ours. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul told Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, showing that that's where the source material for spiritual encouragement and development comes, and to exhortation and teaching. That's, That's another way of saying expository preaching. You exhort, that's why it matters, and you teach, this is what God says. All attached to the public reading of Scripture. So very simple. The reason that we do exposition is God's word tells us to do it. Which brings us to number three, a a bit of a controversial statement. Expository preaching follows the example of preachers in Scripture. It follows the example of preachers in Scripture. Now, not everyone would believe that. In an interview with Ed Stetzer, Andy Stanley pastor of North Point Community Church in metropolitan Atlanta, was asked this. What do you think about preaching verse-by-verse messages through books of the Bible? Stanley answered with these words. Guys who preach verse-by-verse through books of the Bible, that's just cheating. It's cheating because that would be easy, first of all. That isn't how you grow people. And then he says this. No one in the scripture modeled that. There's not one example of that. Where to start? Um, First of all, if if it's cheating and if that's easy, I'm an idiot. Because it's hard. It's really hard work. Secondly, he says there's not one example of that. How about the first Christian sermon ever preached? (laughs) Acts chapter two, you know what Peter did? He gave an exposition and an application showing the analogy of Joel chapter two, verses 28 to 32. I don't know if Mr. Stanley has read the book of Acts, but it's there. Also, you go through the rest. Uh, He also used, by the way, um, uh, two supporting Psalms in his passage. Acts 7, Stephen uh, exposited sections of Genesis and Exodus. In Acts 8, Philip exposited Isaiah 53. Jesus in Luke 24 said he used the Old Testament to show where he showed up in the Old Testament. It's an absurd thing to say that the Bible doesn't give examples of using the Bible for your source material and exposition. As we said last week, the phrase, it is written, It is written, speaking of other scripture, it occurs 331 times in the Bible. 
showing that the internal witness of the Bible is to point to other portions as source material for teaching and for writing about God's word. If you study the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Nahum, Malachi, I'm just thinking of specific examples. Large portions of that are expositions of the book of Deuteronomy, saying here's what it means and here's why it matters. So the Bible teaches us to model using it as its own source material for the teaching and equipping of God's people. Number four, expository preaching establishes the authority of Scripture in the church. Scripture is the absolute authority for a Christian. It is the the only sure word we possess that points to the living word of Jesus Christ. Expository preaching elevates God's word by making it the foundation and focus and the curriculum of the church. We're not looking at pop psychology. We're not looking at the latest self-help books. We actually, contra to what Mr. Fosdick said, we actually believe that the true needs and interests of our soul are sourced in a book that's 2,000 plus years old. It is our authority. We believe that what the Bible says, God means, and he didn't have a speech impediment, and it has implications and applications for our lives and for our godliness. It is the authority. And the first question you have to ask if someone disbelieves that is then what is the authority? And ultimately it becomes your own intuition to judge other things that you can allow into your mind to tell you who to be and what to do and how to act. Number five, expository preaching reveals the mind and logic of God. Now, primarily, this is lectio continua, is going through verse by verse, but I would even say systematic theology does the same things. It reveals the mind and logic of of God. That's why it's good and I think best to preach through books of the Bible because you're getting the argument. And remember, God gave us, this is a little bit about my expository method, God gave us Books, not an encyclopedia of verses. We ought to be able to primarily look at any given text in the scripture and it should stand on its own. And the help that we get from cross-referencing and what we call the analogy of faith, putting a lot of scriptures together, is supplementary. But remember, there were original audiences who read these books and they were expected to have meaning. Nowhere do we find God's mind and perspective other than in his, in his word. We see how he thinks. You know, we spent five years in the book of Romans and I, I just reflect back over that time and I wanted so badly, I would not subject you to this. But when we finished chapter 16, I wanted so badly to say the next week, let's go back to Romans chapter one and start over. Because I was starting to really feel the rhythm and logic of the Apostle Paul who basically writes that, I think, as a missionary letter for missionary support and the message to be taken to the world in missions. It reveals the mind and logic of God. 
If we believe that not a jot and tittle will pass away, if we believe that every verb, every noun, every predicate, every participle, every particle is written exactly as God intended, then it ought to be looked at at the most basic level of grammar that God said it exactly how he intends us to take it. And expository preaching takes it seriously, unpacks it, and puts it back together in a meaning we look for the authorial intent. Number six, expository preaching provides the example for how the church should read and interpret the Bible. Let me say it this way. Preaching, listen, preaching is public hermeneutics. Preaching is public hermeneutics. Said another way, what happens in the pulpit ought to be the example of understanding Scripture that you can take into your quiet time and have an accurate way of getting at the meaning and understanding the implications. I'm deeply aware, I'm deeply aware that every Sunday I stand in this pulpit, I'm not only teaching the text, but I'm also providing an example of how you should approach the text that we're looking at in your personal Bible study and reading That's why we're always looking for, and this is a major phrase that you ought to own and know and memorize and be able to defend and discuss. We're always looking for authorial intent. What did the author mean by what the author said? Because here's the deal. The Bible can never mean what the Bible never meant. What did the author mean in the original writing to the original audience. That's the crown jewel you're looking for in hermeneutics. That's the crown jewel of the message that should come from any passage that's preached. And listen, reading the Bible can be tough. It can be confusing. There are difficult sections. There are difficult passages. And as we said last week, looking at clarity, the problem is not because God's not clear. It's because our filter's broken. Our eyes, we need glasses, spiritual glasses to see because of our depravity. And hopefully expository preaching gives us an example of how we can get at the meaning ourselves. We're not trying to mimic the Catholic Church which says only the church and only the clergy can really understand the Bible and you need to trust us. My goal is to teach you hermeneutics and biblical content so that you can also teach me and hold me accountable. Hold one another accountable. We have an open book philosophy and expository preaching. So it's an example. This is, you ought to listen to an exposition and say, yeah, that's, I didn't see that before, but I can see how he got that by looking at the text. You don't want to say, I've never seen that before, and I don't ever think I'll see it again. That's not good. Number seven, moving fast. Expository preaching sets the agenda for the church. Expository preaching sets the agenda for the church. We're watching a tragic trend play out in our generation. In the absence of exposition, expository preaching, the purpose and agenda of the church can easily be misguided. The church, I believe, in our generation, just read the newspapers, watch the blogs, turn on Twitter or turn on Facebook and you'll see it. We are watching mission drift. You understand what that is? where you, you get off mission, you, you're, you're heading one way and you get distracted to do other things. 
when you preach through the Bible, especially verse by verse, the topic and the agenda is set by God in his providence that he wrote it and that we're studying it in ways that we could never imagine. It keeps the Great Commission central. It keeps the gospel in focus. It keeps us from being distracted by contemporary causes that could be applications of the truth, but they can hijack the mission of the church. We're seeing this right now with this, this racial reconciliation movement, racial uh, social justice those are applications and implications of gospel living, but they shouldn't rise to the level of substitutionary atonement in the gospel. When you preach the scriptures verse by verse, you know what you're going to study as a church? Whatever God inspired in the next paragraph. And I am, can I just tell you, one of the most amazing things for me to watch in the flow of exposition is how God brings things into our church and brings things into people's lives that I would have never anticipated. But the timing is perfect. God, through the scriptures, goes places also in setting the agenda that men or angels dare not tread. Like what? Like standing up, I'm talking about the Bible, standing up, putting its finger in our chest and saying, you are a wicked sinner who needs to deal with this in your life. Well, I have no authority to say that. The only authority I have is between those two leather covers of my Bible. But if it says, here's an issue on covetousness or, or lust or envy, jealousy, stealing, integrity, lying, and you come and you think, well, I, I can't believe that, you know, pastor's picking on me. If you're going through the verse, we'll come back to this. If you're going through the passage, no one's picking on you except God. And it might be a good thing to pick on you about, right? Which leads into number eight. Similarly, expository preaching prevents hobby horses in the pulpit. You know what a hobby horse is. It's just a, 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 a thing you, you, you kind of saddle it up and you ride it. I know certain pastors who are not expositors tend to cycle back to the same subjects and the same issues and the same sins and the same issues they want to bring up at the church. And it's redundant and cyclical. Now let me say that God is intentionally redundant and cyclical but he does it in a way that's divinely inspired, not a hobby horse. It should be obvious, if we're preaching through books of the Bible and a subject comes up that pokes us in the chest, we can simply say, we just did the next verse. I have known men who have chosen to deal with a certain person or group of people in the church by picking out a passage that they thought would slap them square in the face and preaching that on purpose to do that. That's a far different thing than if that was the next verse and you're doing it. It's too easy to preach what's on your heart in the pulpit, to use it as a bully pulpit, a bully speech. But if you're moving methodologically through books of the Bible, through texts, even through theological discussions, no one can ever accuse the preacher or teacher of singling out someone or some issue, but they can rightly accuse God of doing that, which is exactly why he brings us to these issues in exposition as well. Number nine, expository preaching forces the church to deal with hard texts. 
True exposition does not have the luxury of skipping hard texts. Remember the church I told you that I went to when I was in high school? I remember we were going through 1 John and we came to the passage that says, basically, if you love God, you don't sin, which takes some explanation to do it. He's talking about you live in a habitual sin. But instead of talking through that, you know what the, the pastor, it was a Wednesday night, you know what the preacher did? He skipped that verse. Skipped it completely. Well, true exposition skips nothing. And sometimes, and I hope you've heard me say it, sometimes you say, this is hard. And there are a few views on this. Here's the best one I think, but it's tough because we're broken. God's word isn't broken. We're, we as receptors are broken. The signal is going out. Our antennas are snapped in two. I love the fact that when you're preaching through Bibles, you get the corporate gain of us working through difficult, tough texts together. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. How much scripture? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Number 10, expository preaching equips the congregation for personal ministry. Turn for a moment to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians 4. And I recognize today is more of a theological lesson or a, an encouragement than it is a pure exposition. It's more systematic of what we're talking about than a verse by verse. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, listen to the emphasis. God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? Why did he give pastors? Why did he give teachers? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, preaching is intended, teaching is intended to build you up, to encourage you, to instruct you on how you can do ministry better in your sphere. How long do we do this? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. I think that's important. Expository preaching unifies a church because we're studying things together and our faith is unified under proper interpretation, proper interpretation principles, and we understand and apply it together. The unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, that's the crown jewel of all biblical knowledge, is Jesus, to a mature man, spiritual growth, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We're becoming like Him. What a standard. As a result, we're no longer to be children. Here's when you, what happens when you don't have teaching in this verse, in this passage, or I would say exposition. We're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking in the truth is still in the context of teaching and preaching, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all dimensions or aspects into him who is head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together, held together by what, is, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, that causes the growth of the whole body for the building up of itself in love. Now, let me break that down and say this. 
God is intending in this passage for biblical teaching to encourage you to do the work of service. He's intended for your ministry, your work of service, to work together as every joint in your your body together so that the body of Christ here at Mission Road is healthy. And if we're not doing that together, under the direction of Scripture's instruction and admonition, if we're not doing that, we will be an unattractive entity to the world. Who wants to be a part of a group of people who believe so many different things you don't know what they stand for? There's an interesting study you could do in the last uh, probably 25 years. You know what the fastest growing churches in America are? The ones that are tightest doctrinally. Liberal churches who believe anything and everything are dying. The churches that are by and large, there are exceptions on both both ends of the scale, but by and large, the churches that are growing, the the new reformed movement in in, uh, evangelical uh, culture, the churches that are growing are the ones committed to exposition, committed to tightening up their doctrine, not saying we'll take anybody who believes anything. Expository preaching sets the agenda for that by saying here's what God says and here's what God means. It equips us for personal ministry. Number 11, I love this. Expository preaching meets unforeseen needs. Honestly, when I put this list together, this is the one that made me smile. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen God use passages I've preached on in unexpected ways. Sometimes, we say in in preaching circles, sometimes when I thought I laid an egg. You didn't give live birth to a sermon, you just laid an egg and maybe it'll do something someday. It's terrible. I, I remember just, full disclosure, I was preaching in Romans 4 and I did two weeks, I don't know if you remember this, called Salvation doesn't come by surgery on circumcision. Now, just as a footnote, I would have probably have never picked that passage to preach on if I wasn't going through the book of Romans. What am I gonna preach on this week? Hmm, circumcision, let's do that one. It's just not one of the flashing lights on the, the, the dashboard of the Bible that says, pick me. But I preached that sermon and basically sat down saying, ah, I can't wait to get to, the, to chapter five. <laughs> can't wait. I sat down right over here, took my microphone off, and a lady came up standing right there and in tears said, I never realized until this morning that my faith rested on the faith of my mom and not me. Because remember I said, just because you have circumcision, the surgery doesn't mean that, you know, your parents did this to you when you were young. That doesn't mean that, that you're a believer and God has no grandchildren, only children. And she was in tears and God humbled me so much. I thought, ah, it was, it was a waste of a Sunday morning. If you're looking at God's word, it is never a waste. Have you ever been ambushed by a text? You know what that means? kind of reading it, you think you know what it means, and someone's preaching on it, and you went, oh my, I think he's talking about me, which means God is talking to me. It meets unforeseen needs. 
several years ago, I was reading the, reading the, uh, the text in our scripture reading and a person was converted by hearing the reading of scripture, not even in the preaching time. It's how powerful God's word can be. Number 12, preaching constructs a biblical theology. Very important phrase. Your theology, what you think about God and life and your biblical worldview based on scripture. What you're doing, whether you realize it or not, when you come week by week and you're hearing bits and pieces from the gospel of Mark or from Romans or what's going on in Sunday school, these are little pieces of the puzzle that God is putting together to show you how to think theologically. And he Praise God, he doesn't give it all to us at once. So even if you think one day, I don't know what, that taught you something, God's word taught you something that should inform and greater make accurate your view of theology. Every week becomes a brick in a structure of your theological worldview. You are all, listen, eye contact, just for a second, all right? You are a theologian. You're either a good one or a bad one. You're a mature one or an immature one, but you are a theologian. What that means is when I say God or any issue, you have thoughts about how God and those issues come together. And week by week, as we study God's word, our theology ought to become more and more accurate. It's reflected by what God really says and what he means by what he says. So, you're a good or bad theologian, an immature or a mature one. It, it, it's, it's okay to be an immature theologian if you're growing. It's not okay to be a bad, stubborn theologian who won't change your views because you won't let the word of God make the adjustments that it needs to. Expository preaching functions to construct and help you get the bricks to put together in that structure of a theological worldview. Number 13, expository preaching challenges the preacher's life. I just have to tell you, I, I love preaching. I love this moment when we can share together. This is not why I like doing what I do. What I really like is getting my piece of paper and my fountain pen, sitting with a Bible and the very first thing I ever do is I read the verse and I just start making, it's cut in half, observations and questions. Observations and questions. What does this mean? What is this Greek? What is it? And just in the English text, plowing through that. I, I am closest to heaven when I'm doing that. It changes my life. I think God probably put me in the ministry because he knew that would keep me closest to his word and keep me out of a lot of trouble. Preachers who seek to expound God's word either learn to apply it or to be an exception to it. God calls us as teachers, Sunday school down to the children's, to the pulpit, he's called us to be examples of what we study, not exceptions to what we study. And <laughs> I have a wife and boys 
who actually expect me to live according to what I teach and are quite good at quoting me to me when I need to be quoted. Well, Dad, you remember what you said that you're not doing. Number 14, expository preaching generates an eternal perspective. It gets our head out of Fox News and CNN and puts it in heaven. Hearing God's word week by week gets our hope out of the evening news and puts it on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it gives us the eternal perspective that Jesus is real, the gospel is true, he is alive, and he matters more than anything that's happening. It raises our mind from the temporalness of this world and gives us a worldview that says, King Jesus is real and matters today, even if no one else believes it. Puts our hope out of the pundits and places it into the hands of our King, the Lord Jesus. We're citizens of his kingdom, heirs to his promises, slaves to his word and will, and we are the ones who enjoy the blessings of this life and the one to come. Because our perspective is eternal. It's not temporal. We hold the gospel as the most precious truth in any man's mind. Expository preaching feeds that because it always, all scripture ultimately points to, explains, or gives reference to Jesus. This is not just for behavior modification. It's not a way of living. It's not an alternative lifestyle. Church is not an alternative social construct from the world. It's all about who God is for us in Christ. And if you miss that, you miss everything. And then finally, expository preaching ensures doctrinal accountability in a local body. An interesting thing happens in churches that preach expositionally. People start bringing their Bibles there's a reason to read your Bibles. I've turned to several passages today and I love hearing the pages turn when you go there. I had a friend who came, uh, sat right down here on the front row with me. This was maybe last year and said, one of the things I loved hearing most at Mission Road is when you said, John, whatever, they turned there and I hear the pages, a deafening flipping of pages. Praise God for that. You know what happens when you're looking at your Bible? seeing what I'm saying about the words that are in your Bible? You know what happens when the preacher has to be held accountable to the very living word of God that you're holding in your lap? It generates accountability. There's no fast ones being pulled anywhere. I actually love it when someone comes to me and says, are you sure about this? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Boy, far from feeling challenged, I, I feel blessed that I have a church that would actually hold me and one another accountable to the standard. Expository ministry puts everything laid bare and says, this is what we believe about what God says in the Bible. I don't know what you could be, how you could be any more accountable than that. Why 
Why preach on preaching? Why talk and teach on preaching? Well, I think it's important that you understand the what and the why of what happens in your church. This is a theological kind of discussion. But I also hope that you could articulate to someone else why you go to a church that holds the exposition of Scripture so valuable, that prizes it at the top of, a, of, of the list of distinctives of a church. This is not a sermon that exonerates and exalts me. This is a sermon that I'm actually submitting myself to you and saying, if I, if the other preachers in this pulpit don't do this, hold us accountable. We want to get the text right and provide implications that are within the boundaries of the text's meaning. What brings us to the time this morning of communion? I want to show you something as we prepare for the Lord's table. Would you turn to Psalm 119? Love to hear pages turning. Psalm 119. As you know, it is a, uh, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses all on God's word. Every verse is about God's word. Well, there is broken into stanzas that are associated with the Hebrew alphabet. All the lines begin with that alliteration in, in the original Hebrew. But look at Psalm 119, verse 65. I just want to read this part of it in reference to the scripture. And especially when you're in a difficult time, what God's word does, you have dealt with me, verse 65, you have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Every sentence is rich in this, this stanza. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Then this, verse 67, before I had a trial, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Hear what he's saying? God gives us difficulties in our lives to bring us back into alignment with his word. Look at the next phrase. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. Can you say this, verse 71? It is good for me that I was afflicted so that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mind is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. <laughs> 